Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 217 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we are taking a break from our normal programming to bring you a super cool conversation with members of the USA Cycling Cyclocross Worlds team. The recording you're going to hear is part of an event that was hosted by the USA Cycling Foundation Mud Fund for donors of the program. If you're not familiar with the Mud Fund, it's it's a really important component in what makes it possible for us to develop the future of American cyclocross while also supporting the current U.S. stars of the sport and giving them the opportunity to compete at the highest level. If you become a donor, you will also be able to participate live in future events like this one. So while you're listening to Clara Hansinger, Becca Faringer, Curtis White, and Maddie Monroe, click on the link to the Mud Fund in the show notes and, and become a donor. And while you're poking around in those notes, you can also subscribe to the CX Hairs Bulletin and get all of the latest Cyclocross has to offer. And you can become a member of the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. You get all three right there down in the show notes. All right. It's episode 217 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking to Clara, the Beck star, Curtis, and Maddie, with special guest appearances by Tim Johnson and Jesse Anthony. And we're doing that right now. Okay, I want to welcome everyone to our Mud Fund Worlds preview. This is pretty awesome. I know for most of us, uh, this is middle of the day for our athletes. They've all uh, had dinner and uh, are joining us, and we're going to get in here, ask uh, questions, have a conversation for about an hour, and then just get um, get them get them to sleep so they can uh, get on with their uh, training or whatever they have planned tomorrow. But uh, to get started, if I, I just like all of our athletes to introduce themselves, starting with Clara. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Clara Hansinger. I'm a, an athlete for Cannondale Cyclocross World, and I'm over here in Sittard, Netherlands with Curtis, and we're doing our European campaign. Uh, oh, I forgot to I forgot to add, Clara, this is this was a requirement. This was their homework. You have to also include your favorite book or movie that you've consumed while you've been over in Europe. Yeah, and we've had quite a bit of downtime to, uh, yeah, categorize a lot of those. But um, the best, my favorite book I've written so uh, read so far was I read um, "A Tale of Two Cities" by Charles Dickens. Nice, a classics. All right, high bar. Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Curtis White. I race for the Cannondale CyclocrossRoad.com team. I'm from upstate New York in Dwaynesburg, but recently moved to uh, the North Shore Boston area in Beverly, Massachusetts, close by to Tim. Um, yeah, we've been really enjoying this year. We're staying in Sittard, uh, the Cannondale compound. And my favorite book that I've read this trip here, uh, not a light read, but Caesar's Conquest of Gaul here. All right, Becca, pressure's on. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm Rebecca Faringer. I ride for Kona Maxis Shimano. I am not in Sittard. I'm in Odenarda, Belgium. And uh, uh, oh man. So I hit my head really hard and I didn't read for a while because reading really hurt. 
And I can't really remember any movies I've watched because I've really just been watching Netflix shows. But I was watching Ghostbusters and it had Dutch subtitles and I heard them say the word attic and then I saw the word Zolder. And that's when I learned that Zolder means attic in Dutch. So I learned something from Ghostbusters. Perfect. <laughs> Take that, Taylor Two Cities. And locked in his room, Jesse. Uh yeah, I'm Jesse Anthony. I'm the cyclocross manager and national team coach with USA Cycling. Uh, I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, I used to be in Beverly, Mass., which is where Curtis is. So good job, Curtis, finding the cyclocross hotbed of the world. Um, I'm now in uh, USA Cycling's house in Sittard, uh, Netherlands. Um, normally, I have uh, the entire side of the house to myself for quarantine here which was, uh, I think, eight bedrooms at my disposal. But the internet wasn't working over here, so I'm in the other side of the house. And, uh, yeah, that's how things go. Um, I just, I've only been here for two days, hence my little quarantine room. But I think last year uh, we did marathon of the staff uh, with the USA Cycling team did uh, a marathon of Family Guy. And I think we went through about five seasons in maybe 10 days. So maybe not my favorite show, but it kept us entertained. You know, that's not reading, Jesse, right? What's that, Tim? You know, that's not reading, right? He said, or TV show or movie, but I, I picked a TV show. It was like a movie. All right, let's get started on just uh, what, it's, what it's been like over in Europe. You know, as we all know, this season is unlike any other in that uh, no domestic racing and sort of some pros and cons to that, but Clara, what 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 was it like? What was the the season? You know, just the makeup of the season compared to years past to, to what you're doing now. So I've been asked that question quite a bit, and one thing that I feel the season how it's been different from previous seasons over in Europe has been the lack of fans, and it almost makes it feel more like U.S. racing. Because in the United States, most of the people there are there to race their bikes on course. They're actual riders uh, in the race. And it's a similar case over here right now. Um, when you go to the venue, essentially all the people there are there to either support riders or ride the race themselves. And it's it feels very, I don't know, it feels more at home, more easy to navigate this year. A little bit quieter in general. Maybe it's just the lack of drunk Belgian men scrambling around to try and grab a rider card. Yeah, Curtis, you know, one of the places that Clara was, uh, I know, answered that question already was on your podcast. And so now I'm, I'm feeling a little bit of the, uh, of the pressure here to, with another, with a fellow podcaster in, in the room. But one of the things that you guys uh, were talking about was just that, you know, not only all of the racing, but also just just the the acclimation to to Europe and being able to be over there and you know get get consistent training in and not have to worry about you know okay we need to figure out where we're going to get food and do all this kind of stuff where you now have this routine and just you know just from I think you guys were talking about that even two three weeks ago from that time even farther into it you know what's that what's that like what's the day to day like and how has that helped with other trips that you've had in the past to Europe. Yeah, well, Bill, thank you for the shout out with the podcast. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened, uh, something I knew I just started this year in the Red podcast series, just following the season here in Europe. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's definitely been a new, uh, routine and atmosphere here. Um, but this is also the opportunity of having our first full European season, um, where most of the times we come to Europe right after our national championship and it's right in the middle of the curse period. And it's just race, recover, race, recover, race, recover. And we don't fully get to explore where the best rides are. If we have a four hour endurance ride, where do we go? Where do we go for intervals? Where are the best trails to train on? Um, I think there's really trail network around considered, but this trip we've been able to really explore the area and feel comfortable, especially early on in the trip when the weather was good, we could explore three, four five hour routes and feel comfortable on those and have a good uh, routine through the weeks when we're only racing once a week. And then the curse period hit, we were, we were catching our stride, getting the race legs underneath us. And then now in the lead up to worlds, when the weather's a little bit, it's colder, darker, a little bit more rainy. We're working a little bit more efficiently with our training. Um, we're not doing the same four hour training days out in the cold, but still knowing how to use our resources to the best of their ability. So that's, that's been a real positive from this year. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, Becca with the racing itself, you know, Curtis painted this really great picture of being able to be there and sort of work your way into a, into a routine and just have everything, uh, set out for it. But unlike other seasons where in the U S I think, uh, you guys get a jump on the Europeans racing wise and are already have some racing legs, uh, by the time they, they come over for the world cups and, and stuff like that. This year, you know, especially with delayed travel and everything else, you kind of got over there and everybody was already in in fifth gear and you were just starting. What was that transition like and how's it going just trying to get back up to speed uh, to to compete in these races? Uh, I think I had it exceptionally, uh, exceptionally bad only because I came in, I think only a race after the Cannondale crew, a little bit less acclimation time than they took. And the first two races were... Like I was rolling backwards at the start and everyone was a half a lap in. It was just incredible how different that was. And then I think it was my second race in, I got a concussion and I had to take a couple of races off. And I didn't realize how much that concussion affected my next month of racing until all of a sudden, like I started to feel better. Like I laughed and I was like, whoa, what was that? Like, I didn't realize the effect that that had. So it took even more wind out of my sails. And from then it was just sort of a, a mental battle. And I think a lot of the Americans over here are, are kind of feeling the effects of jumping into a season. Like you don't know where your fitness is. You don't have that usually when we come over here from Europe, we're at the front of American races. So we're hungry for the front of a race and we know we can be there and it's a little boost. And without having that and having, you know, so much turmoil, especially in the U S as compared to Europe with everything happening politically and everything, it's just, I don't know, it's a lot to handle. And I'm a very, um, head Casey person and it definitely has been getting to me this season. And I just keep trying to find the silver lining of, you know, I'm here keeping the skills sharp, uh, you know, keeping my, keeping my face in the mix. And there's always next year for better races. <laughs> Clara, we got one world cup left coming up this, this weekend, plus Flandrian cross. I don't Are you racing both races on the weekend? And what what does it look like now? What is it? Is, is it is this still uh, priority racing? Are we looking ahead toward Worlds? What's the what's the goal now from here until until Worlds? 
So personally, I only have two races left this season, and they're both extremely important. First, we have that World Cup in Overisa, and currently I believe I'm sitting fifth in the World Cup standings. So to maintain or improve that standing is really important to me right now. Um, and then the following weekend, we have Worlds. And so it's really a strong focus on finishing these last two weekends of the cyclocross season for us, um, doing it really well and coming away with uh, results. Um, I'm not sure how many people listening to this are aware, but all of our points or our ranking next year is determined by our placement in the world championships this year. So looking towards the future, the only race that matters from this season in terms of applying to that future is Worlds. So I'm, I'm going for a, a two-race attack. We'll call it that. And they're, they're really different races. You know, you, you have those cobble climbs and sort of, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty greasy uh, at the World Cup race. And then you come into Worlds that I already saw them constructing what I'm assuming still going to be the world's largest flyover uh, into that, you know, and then you dump into that sand section. So really a sand race. How, what, are you, what are you feeling like going into that world's course, especially with the racing that you've done so far this season? So um, last weekend, we were able to do our first kind of true sand race of the season in Mole. And that was an excellent, um, not only an indicator of our skills and how we're performing in the sand, but also a great opportunity to practice those skills at race pace. And ultimately, sand is one of those obstacles um, or barriers in a course where you can imagine you're, if you ride it really well, you're at net zero seconds like you you just make it through and you're at zero but if you mess up in the sand you're at like plus 10 seconds back so those little errors in the sand can really accumulate to a lot of time um so this course for worlds being mostly sand it's really important that yeah we do a lot of practice and feel confident about our abilities yeah curtis went when you were talking with Claire on, on, on the In the Red podcast, you guys were, uh, one, one thing that I liked that you were talking about, and I think the, the whole mud fun concept plays into this, that, you know, you, you, look at the, you look at the guys in front of you and like, yeah, they're, they're amazing racers. You know, you got Wout, you got Vanderpool, but you're like, you don't, you don't see them as, as out of your league. You see them as, as something that you're still striving to be up where they are at. I mean, can you just talk a little bit about about that attitude? And I think that sort of plays into what Jesse's trying to do, what Tim's trying to do with the Mud Fund for bringing people up and having that attitude that this is this is something that, you know, you're sort of in it to compete and 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 be the best out there. Certainly. This is uh I mean, for me, this has been 8 or 9 years coming to Europe and every year slowly chipping away and trying to get used to the culture of Belgian and European cyclocross and just understanding the sport better and picking up on these little nuances. And it's every year it's getting more and more and taking away more. Um, but I, I think mentally that that's really the only way to approach these races that it, it's, it's fun to talk about uh, how riders like Mathieu and Wout or Lucinda are these superhuman athletes, but 
coming into these races, we have to view it as they're, they're people too. They, you know, they eat the same things for breakfast. They, they do all the same things as us, but the, they've been enrolled in the school of cyclocross a bit longer than us. And that's just the cultural part of the sport. Um, for me in the States, I started training in the sand very late, uh, in my career, really only in the last couple of years, I've been giving it very serious attention. Whereas you could probably imagine well, or mature at a very young age, you know, 11 or 12 years old, riding tubulars in the sand, testing really low pressures, maybe 10, 11, 12 PSI, and just getting comfortable on that and riding with other athletes that are at their level or better. Um, and that's one thing that the Mud Fund is helping with and Jesse and Tim and just trying to build that culture and that knowledge around this sport. And that's really huge for us athletes because the United States is so big. We have pockets in New England, Boulder, uh, the Pacific Northwest, but not that there's a disconnect, but we're just not picking up the knowledge at the same rate as our European competitors. It's just, it's more ingrained in the culture here. So that's what the mud fund is able to provide, uh, and hopefully provide more of in the future is I would love to see more high level athletes in the U S getting together on a more regular basis, whether it's with a cohesive racing schedule or training camp opportunities, or just having those resources to test each other at a really high level. And that's ultimately what we need. The Europeans aren't stronger than us or more gifted, but they just understand these nuances a little bit more than we do. And we're, we're picking up on it, but uh, I mean, at the moment we're behind in the arms race. All right. I see Maddie has joined us. Maddie, what you missed out on here's, here's your homework that you have to do now. Introduce yourself, where you're from, who you race for a movie or book that, that you've read while over in Europe, your favorite one. And also then you have to uh, give us all the, all the gossip on the Treka world um, tour road teams that you just learned. <laughs> okay. So hi everyone. My name's Maddie Monroe. I'm from Boulder, Colorado. Um, and favorite book I've read over this trip is probably, it was called the dog stars, um, by Peter Heller, I think. Um, a friend recommended it to me and, um, I race for Trek factory racing and I'm currently in Spain training at a, doing a little training camp with the Trek Segafredo men's and women's team, um, which has been super fun, just a crazy experience. I mean, going down to dinner and seeing Vincenzo Nibali eat lunch and, or dinner and like people like Lizzie and Elisa, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to see. Um, I'd say the coolest part has just been riding with them, riding with these girls and, and trying to hang on their wheel for as long as I can. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Great. Awesome. All right. Back to you, Becca. If you're going out for a pre-race recon lap and you see people going out of, of, of the riders now that you've sort of been racing against or that you see go on course could even be, yeah. Uh, who, who's, whose wheel are you jumping on? Who's, whose lines are you trying to steal if you see him, see him out there? Uh, this year has actually been a big treat for the women pre-riding. Normally we have to show up pretty early to the race and it's just like in the U S we have to pre-ride like 
before or after the juniors and before the U23s. And it's sort of in like 10 or 15 minute blocks in this year, because it's only the elite races, we have like a huge time span, which actually means I run into fewer people on course. Literally, I haven't hit anybody this year. And that's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, so it's really luck of the draw. But I, I mean, pretty much any of the names that you might recognize, I sort of trust is good wheels to follow. Uh, I came just at Mole, I came across Lucinda Brand, and she was watching some people session something. So then I watched her watch them so that I could then watch her and then inevitably not exactly perform what she performed. Uh, but I did it to the best of my ability. And actually this year though, I have found that doing my own thing has actually been the best. Sometimes I watch people do things and I realize they're doing it the way other people are doing it. And my initial reaction was better for me anyways. So I think this year I've become a lot more independent and screw those other ladies. I got my own skill set. <laughs> you and, uh, you and Curtis have been doing these great, uh, recon, uh, pre-race, uh, videos, just course previews. Do you think that that, you know, one, it's great for all of us. We love seeing them and, and just sort of following along with what you're seeing, but also do you think that doing that sort of doing that analysis after the race has, has helped you, um, just sort of think about the courses more and think about the racing? Um, you know, my coach actually has asked me the same thing. And I think doing the sort of analysis doesn't really help a lot, but it does help me reflect on how different a pre-ride is compared to the race. I hate it when I, in a pre-ride, I can ride up a hill so easily. And then the race comes and it's like I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing if it sticks and it's just falling down. Like, I don't understand. Sometimes I think the traction changes because after all the pre-riding and then the men ride and then we race and sometimes the weather changes. So it's traction, but also in pre-ride, sometimes things go worse because you're not giving it 100% power. But sometimes they go better because you're approaching it calmly and you're taking the exact line you want and you're, you know, you're so focused. And then the race comes and you're just frantically like just throwing yourself at things. So I think some of that, you know, watching the difference between pre-ride pace and race pace, it might remind me in the race to say like, all right, the first two laps, clearly I was not doing this well. So now that it's lap three, how about I choke up, you know, a half of a pedal stroke and just calmly pedal into this. And then sometimes I make it, make it up like in pre-ride. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, turns out this is just different now. I keep running. <laughs> All right, Clara, you're, you're from the Pacific Northwest. You've, you've raced in the mud up there. What is the difference in the mud in Europe, and can you describe it without using the term peanut butter? Ooh. Um, it's more of a, a cashew butter. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, you know, it's funny because the other night we were having dinner, and uh, Katie there something came up with like the sand and mole being like a special type of sand different from sand in other places. Katie's like, you know, sand is sand is sand, <laughs> which, which isn't entirely true. But she, then she said the same thing. She's like, you know, and, and mud is mud is mud for the most part. Uh, I mean, it is, I think it's less, the soil type 
if we're looking at more granitic or clay-based soils, I think it's more of the race atmosphere that affects how a race is ridden. Um, it's, it, it's, you know, in the United States, the courses are being ridden prior to us by uh, the amateur categories. So lines are going to be ridden in differently. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more riders on course. So it's going to deteriorate a lot more quickly. Whereas over here, the lines are going to be ridden in by professionals first, and there's going to be less riders on course. So the course will maintain itself. It, and then just the additional, it's ridden at higher speeds, I'd say, than in the United States. I don't think it's so much what the course is made of, it's how the course is raced that determines how, what it feels like. Maddie, uh, looking at the races, racing that you've done so far and just looking ahead towards Worlds, you know, as, as Claire already mentioned, that's, that's kind of the, the main goal here going, in, going into next year. You know, you've, you've done, done amazing. You've gotten these top 15s in World Cups, you know, and some good top 20s. Are you looking, are you sort of peeping the other U23 women who you're going to be competing against, just looking up, to, up towards Worlds? And what's your, what's your expectations once you get there? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always kind of, you know, had an eye on the other juniors, especially that are my age and, and moving up to U23 as well. And especially watching them race over in Europe while I was back in the States just to kind of, you know, see how things are going and how everyone's doing. But I've really been trying not to compare myself too much to the other riders because I think I, I tend to do that and then really get in my head and um, get a little bit intimidated. But going into Worlds, honestly, this year, a lot of it is just about getting the experience as a first year U23. I'm not setting a lot of expectations for myself results wise at Worlds. And I just want to go in and and really learn as much as I can and feel the best I can on the course. I think I'm still really working on having a lot of confidence as a rider and racer. So I think feeling confident on the world's course and in my abilities is one of my main goals for this year. Yeah. Great. Hey, Jesse, I want to jump over to you for uh, a minute and just talk about the, I mean, it's perfect with you sitting in quarantine right now and not being able to leave, but just the, 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 the difference in logistics and planning for this world versus last year, you know, one thing, you know, it's probably easier. You have a smaller squad to deal with just six riders, but on the other hand, you know, what, what's it like getting people in and out of the country, you know, from Netherlands to Belgium, having to deal with all the testing, having to deal with getting staff over there, you know, what's, what's kind of the, the planning that's going on from, from you? Yeah. Great question. Um, so first of all, most of the hard work was done by all these athletes and their teams uh, back in October, November, and I was working closely with them. Um, I see Stu Thorne on the call here. We were on the phone at least an hour a week, probably all of September, October into November. Um, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, communication and navigating constantly changing uh, protocols from each of the for from Belgium specifically, which is where everyone was traveling to. So um, that all worked out. Uh, they made exemptions for, for top sport, for elite sports, and that um, made it uh, possible for everyone to get over. So that was the first big hurdle. And then um, 
I think Jeremy Powers keeps keeps stating it on the GCN feeds about how challenging it is just for an English speaker or an American to be in Europe. Uh, and that's in a normal year. You know, add a year like this on top when it's even more challenging. And I think um, most people recognize, but if they don't, like what all these athletes on this call and everyone else who's, who is here in Europe racing right now, like what they've been through to, to do this is incredible. Um, I've seen it from afar. I've, I've helped manage some of the, some of the hurdle jumping, um, but I didn't have to do it. And, um, it's just been really impressive to see how they've all handled it and, and put their heads down what they got once they got here to, to get the job done and to really, um, like Curtis said, to find that rhythm, uh, find that routine and, and settle in. So that was, um, that was really big. And at this point with worlds coming up, uh, I think 10 or 11 days from now, um, most of the work is done on my part. We got everything pretty much lined up. We got COVID tests. We're taking next week. We got everyone's bubble sorted out. Um, the trade teams, uh, have stepped in and helped when, where they could and, and set up some of those logistics. So that's definitely helped us make it easier. Um, the last piece is, is really getting these, the final COVID protocols in place. Um, but yeah, as far as we're concerned right now, everything's good to go. Great. That's great. Uh, Tim, you want to hit us with a question? Uh, yeah. So we've got, uh, some good questions rolling in. Um, this kind of fits into what you were just talking about. Um, if you were to, if you were to make a decision for next year, so 2021, 2022, leading into Fayetteville Worlds, based on what, how it went this year, um, Euro or US based, what's your, what's your preference and what would you decide if you could choose today? Who's that for? Anybody. For the room. Let's start with Curtis. Um, well, it, it's, ha. Huh. It's complicated because it really does depend on what the U.S. season will look like. Um, if we see a strong resurgence of races and a really good calendar and we want to continue to promote the sport and do that in the U.S., uh, but also there is the side to the coin where if you want to be successful, you have to place yourself around more successful people. And uh, at the moment, that's in Europe. Um, but it's this year we've made really good gains, the World Championships in in. Uh, the U.S. next year. I'd, I'd like to be in the U.S. next year. Becca, does it change anything if we have a calendar next year where there aren't competing UCI racers? Otherwise, does it make it, does it make it a, a little easier decision if you're racing against the top riders in the U.S. every week and probably some Europeans, especially with the uh, World Cups coming back and then, and then Worlds as well? Yeah, I think having a semi-parsed-down, top-notch U.S. season uh, could really put us in a prime position with Worlds being in the U.S. I think it would still be worthwhile for those at the top to make a trip over to Europe for either um, the post-Nationals block, if there is that break between U.S. Nationals and Worlds, uh, or, you know, at least for some November World Cups or something, because I do think it's important to, you know, scrape some elbows with the people you're hoping to scrape elbows with in it Worlds. But I think 
yeah, you you have to keep the scene alive in the U.S. I think all of us have been very successful racing in the U.S. and then jumping right into the European scene and being successful, you know, like going straight from nationals to Namur. Like we had three U.S. women in the top 10 of the first World Cup we attended last year. So there's, it's not an issue of traveling back and forth. It's not an issue of not being prepared in the U.S. I think the U.S. can prepare us and we all know how to travel. It's a non-issue, people. We're going to rock the world. <laughs> Clara, a little bit along the same lines, but how do you think that the the lost season in the U.S. and and no juniors at World, how, how, how do you think that that will affect the cyclocross future in the in the U.S., if at all? Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about what what our objectives are going to be to support these riders who miss their last season as either juniors or U23s. And so I think it's important to understand that the MUD Fund not only supports U23 riders uh, and junior riders, but also elites who are just entering the elite category. Myself, for instance, last year, it was my first season as an elite and I didn't have the foundation. and my, my team didn't quite have the resources to uh, sponsor me in Europe and on their own. And so having the MUD Fund be there to take me to the races, to give me support, to give me a place to say was really essential for my success that first season uh, and my development growing into this season. So I think it's um, to make sure that next season is, or to make sure that we're prepared for, or that like we take advantage of next season as well, involves supporting those new elites as well as the U23 and juniors. Can I interject a little bit and tack onto that? Uh, just to add a silver lining, like I don't know how many people listening to this might have uh, juniors, U23 kids, whatever in the sport. Uh, I hope that still they're keeping, you know, the dream alive. They're still training. And if anybody does feel dejected on the on the basis of I lost a year of experience, I lost points. Oh, what is the point? Everybody missed out. Like all of the juniors in U23s in the U.S. missed out. Ev- like everybody in the U.S. missed out. It's actually a really great time to see it as like a clean slate coming in new. You don't need to worry about your points from last year. You don't need to worry about grid positions. Like it's a free for all, but in the best way possible. So maybe this could be a really great like restart for for the U.S. We can reframe everything. We can get the juices flowing again and hopefully remove some of those mental and emotional barriers that might be set up. Yeah, that's great. And just sort of playing off of that, Maddie, how how important then is it, you know, for you and, and most U.S.-based athletes and, and how does this play into your planning for next season having Worlds in the U.S.? I mean, that's a huge deal and can be such a, a great motivator for U.S. cyclocross. Yeah, I think it, it's a, a big motivator for sure. And just also really trying to get like the fans out as well. Just having it in the U.S. I mean, you go to Europe and you see how many fans come out to these Belgian races and um, and how big the sport has become and trying to get something similar to that in the U.S. can be super positive and super encouraging and seeing how much support we can rally around the actual event. I think would be would be very encouraging for young athletes um, and also just 
knowing they don't have to travel as far. Maybe that makes like budgeting easier and just more people are, are available to go to the race. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, I think too, you know, you're you're in you're in the position where you're you're able to to race that U twenty three race. You know, you're the one one American able to do so. And I think that for all of the juniors and U twenty three athletes who didn't get the opportunity this year, it's like just like what Becca was saying, what Maddie was saying, it's it's something that I think that everyone should just have more motivation, you know, cheer on the athletes we have going to Worlds this year and then just sort of take that momentum into next year because it's, it's I, I really believe it's going to be huge in the U.S. Uh, Curtis, anything to add to that? No, I, I think everyone really covered a lot of really good points. Um, and I think uh, really to piggyback off of what Clara and Becca were saying earlier, um, it, this has been a really strange year for a lot of athletes. And for the nine months leading into the season, many of us had no idea what we were going to do, what our season was going to look like. We saw cancellations. What are we going to be doing for training, let alone how are we going to shape our lives for the next year? How are we going to progress as athletes? Um, but we're fortunate enough to come to Europe and it's in these uh, uncomfortable situations where true growth really happens. Um, I, I think I, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, I, I've seen more growth for myself as an athlete and as a person over the last couple of months competing with the best in the world and in this uncomfortable situation and really stepping into uncharted territories. Um, but you can pass that same advice off to anyone. If you're a, a young junior under 23 that's missed out on racing and you're balancing school and your school schedule's been thrown off, this is a year for growth and trying new things and stepping into uncharted territory. Um, and talking about the podcast I started earlier, the videos I've been putting out, that's something I haven't done before, but it's a new skill to try and hone in on. Um, yeah, continuing to step into that uncharted territory, trying new things and not being afraid to fail, just being, you know, afraid to not give 100% or give it your best. And that's ultimately what it is. Uh, this one for any of, any of the riders, um, the European experience this time compared with years past, do you do you feel like it is either positively or negatively affecting your performance? Is it more isolating without being able to travel as much? I mean, it just, um, I, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but if anybody wants to jump in just on, on what this, you know, really the experience of, of being, uh, in, in a, in a country that is in lockdown versus last year where I think, you, you know, or years past where you're able to explore more and just the, the difference in the atmosphere and the racing. Every time I come, uh, I know I'm here for racing. And despite being here for long periods of time, I've never really been a tourist. I've never gone into the city and just hung out. Like, I think I've gone out for coffee three times and I've been coming here for five years or so. <laughs> uh, I'm a bit of a social hermit. Uh, but I think the difference for me this year is maybe it's the vlog, maybe it's social media, but I think more Europeans, both fans and athletes have been reaching out to me over social media and just been interacting with me on stories or, you know, like asking how training's going or just if I'm going to a race. And uh, it's actually, I don't know, it's been less isolating in that way. It's, I don't know if it's 
how often I've been coming or if it's something about everyone's more active on social media because that's all we have. But I feel like I have friends here, even if they're all so far away. Yeah, Clara, to, to, to quote a great American scholar, Paul Westerberg, who once said, we're on tour, we're not tourists. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that, you know, do you feel like you want to go out and, and, and see anything? But on, on other years, like have an obligation, I'm in a new place, I want to explore? Or is it just, you know, 100% business, I'm here to race? It's always been, as Becca said, we come over here and we have a, a role to play. We've, we need the racer bikes. Um, but this year has felt much more... I personally, like, when I'm racing in the United States, I like to just, I like to train at home and practice on the courses I know at home and then go over on the weekends and do the business, take my trip, do my business, race my bike, and then come home to continue training. And I feel like we're doing a similar thing here. We've established our home uh and we've gotten to know the area. We've gotten to know how to train here really well. Whereas in past seasons, it's been so, yeah, there's, there's been almost too many distractions, whether it's we're not here for as long, we have to travel to races, we have to go to Spain. Um, being able to come here and really get into a routine and focus on what our job has is has really I felt improved my own performance in ways that I wouldn't be able to do so otherwise. All right, Curtis, this is this is a word problem. You may need um pencil and paper for this one. All right, sounds good. Okay, if you entered this weekend's events on the first bike you ever raced, how long would it take for you to lap yourself if you were racing also on your current bike and? how much of a circus bear would you look like on that original bike? Wow. So the first uh, cyclocross bike that I had was a, a Redline Conquest 24-inch. Uh, so it was, <laughs> it was meant for little kid Curtis, uh, 10 years old, before hitting the growth spurt. Um, so you're just hoping you're at, you're at Zolder on the BMX park? Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I'd take a detour from the course and go right to the pump track. Um, but it, it's, yeah, I don't think there's really much of a comparison there. <laughs> Maddie, I guess the question people want to know, how many, how many laps have you been out there uh, riding, riding around with Sven, and has he, uh, has he given you any, uh, any tips on any, any of the courses? Oh, um, so I've, rid I've only ridden, I've gone to ride with him twice now, um, same forest in Belgium, and Honestly, I wouldn't say like any piece of advice has stuck out the most, just riding behind him and trying to hang on his wheel while we go through all these crazy trails and like jumping over barriers and stuff has been the most helpful um, and pushed me the most. And one thing he has said that I think really resonated with me is it's all about having confidence and you have to hit these turns as fast as you can and not touch the brakes and you have to trust yourself and your bike and be able to just rip around that berm like as fast as you can. Nice. Okay, yeah. here's here's right. my follow-up question. If um Pete Weber were out there along with you and Sven, what advice would he give to Sven? <laughs> oh, what? Hmm. <laughs> you don't have to answer <laughs> That's that. That's a, a good question. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> let's let's move on for another uh, another question. Let's go back to uh, our submitted questions here. This one, anybody can just sort of jump in on this. Hairiest moment that you've had this season uh, in, a, in a race, you know, competing with someone for a finish or just, you know, fighting for a corner. Becca, you're smirking. You can just jump in. Or <laughs> splat. This one time I went down a hill and went kablammy. Okay, we're going to get to the bottom of this. You, since you both are here, you already said that you were feeling pressure from Clara oh coming boy. up behind you. Dude, there have been like five races where Clara and I are physically intertwined. <laughs> like, and then she finishes in the top five and I'm like, bye, I'm at 40th. <laughs> no, we just, we're going up a run up and, uh, she ran right up on me and I was like, Oh, Claire's here. I better go real fast. And I went too fast that I didn't look at my line and I just hit a hole. I should have just gone my own pace, but I wanted to get out of Claire's way. <laughs> I, I think ultimately it was the fact that the, in the middle of this, like pretty steep little shoot, there was a, a wheel size hole. <laughs> I think that's what did it. It, yeah, I mean, definitely the wheel size hole. I knew it was there, and I'd been hanging to the right. There was a line to the left, uh, kind of on the, like the downhill part of the off camber, and a lot of people were taking left, and I was taking more time to get on my bike and swinging right and going down, and I didn't take, like, I just rushed, and I was an inch to the left, and I hit the hole, and the, I think five or six people, all men, have reached out to me since then and said, like, I hit that hole, too. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say there were there were you definitely had company. Uh, you were a trendsetter on that one. Yeah. Uh, um, how about it, uh, uh, Maddie? Any any sort of hairy moments out there that stick out? Mm, I think at ball, there's like at the very beginning of the course, you you go down the start straight away, and then you come around the grass, and then there's like this big dip onto this uphill, and the first lap is always kind of carnage there. I think like people start to get off and run and. I think I was right behind Katie Keogh and we, someone in front and bobbled or something. And my, I like stepped right on her rim, almost like through her spokes and was about to be just totally tangled up in her bike. And I remember that being pretty nerve wracking. Like I'm either going to break my foot or her bike or both or yeah, but all was okay in the end. <laughs> Great. Clara, I, I know, I know for us watching at home at Namur, there were a lot of uh, hairy moments for us when you were, uh, Sort of chasing people down on, on that course for that uh, great finish. But uh, anything else stick out for you for the season that you're like, ooh, yeah, that was the moment? That's a good question. It's always so, I feel like there's a lot of things in the moment where you're like, wow, did that really just happened right next to me. Uh, and then you just focus right back on the racing. Um, um, I feel like most of the hilarious stuff happens before the race on the start line when everybody's like shuffling in and uh, it says it says that you're supposed to line evenly on the grid and then you overlap with about four different people for row 2.3 and then usually there's some some shuffling and hollering. Yeah, I I from hearing the stories, I always compare it to getting on an elevator in the Midwest versus getting in on an elevator in Manhattan. And the European races are the Manhattan elevator. What about uh, Curtis? Any Anything stick out to you? 
Um, there's, I mean, every race has their uh, nerve wracking moments, but I think though, so this past weekend in mall um, was a, uh, one of those moments where it wasn't, there wasn't any uh, danger of crashing or anything like that. But um, unfortunately the race wasn't televised, but uh, I, I think somewhere if you put your VPN to Belgium, you can find a video of the, the race in mall. But uh, I had a really good start uh, coming into the iconic sandpit there uh, riding within the top five and being able to follow wheels like Lars van der Haar, Wout van Aert, or Lawrence Swake in the first five minutes of the race. It's honestly pretty nerve wracking because for the first five minutes, I'm on my limit riding in conditions that I feel like I'm, I've been training a lot this year, but still we talked about that element of culturally, just that indoctrination of riding in the sand at the right tire pressures at from a very young age and just seeing that display of skill and power right in front of me and following those wheels being, or just trying to emulate what those riders were doing. I, I was on my limit for the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes of the race. And that was definitely a few close calls with, uh, you know, going into the red or just, you know, sliding out in a corner just to try to hold the wheel. But that's, you know, a big, a few big takeaways from the race, but also, yeah, just going to that place that you really have a hard time going to in an American race because the level is just so high here. Tim, what do you think about hearing this going, going back to the old days, uh, and these, uh, these stories that you're hearing now, does any of it, any of it ring true? Uh, I, I love hearing these stories. Um, you know, it, it's like everyone has their own version of what, um, brought them to a start line. You know, it's, it, is it one person or a group of people that have helped along the way? Um, you know, is it, is it the, the myth and the legend of like, Oh, if you, if, if you want to be a good racer, you got to go to Europe. Um, you know, where you first heard that and then how it became uh, part of the plan is always happens for riders at different times. Um, but it eventually happens and, and everyone starts to cut their teeth on, on these different types of races, courses, different racers. Um, you know, it really raises the game and, and raises the level of the rider. Um, you know, so I, as someone who's been in, in all of these riders shoes, you know, um, it's, it's pretty cool to, to be here and, and to listen to it, but also to try and support it. Um, you know, we, we started the mud fund a lot of years ago, um, on a smaller scale and just something that was, um, a way to help out, um, and, and kind of stay connected in the scene. Now that we've been able to bring it to USA cycling and have built some momentum with it. Um, and I really want to say thank you to the people who are here on the, on the call right now. And also who are going to be listening to this when it comes out on, on your, uh, CX hairs radio, um, for donating and for, for being a part of this. It's like, you know, as Becca said, she feels like she's connected to the people at home now more than, than ever. And, and in a year that's been as crazy as this, you, you can't put a price on that. That is like such an immense um, and important feeling to have when you do go out to race and you're covered in mud, you're freezing, you're shivering and, you know, you messed up, you know, the third lap and you just beat yourself up over it, um, you know, until the next race comes around. So, um, no, thanks to everyone who's, who's donated and who's supporting it. Um, we look forward to the world cup and, and to the world championships coming up around the corner and, uh, especially next year in Fayetteville, you know, two world championships on us soil, um, 
and to be a small part of that's something pretty special for me. All right, Jesse, we're gonna we're gonna close it out with you. I want you to chat a little bit about just the the, the mud fund and 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 its importance, but but you're you're not getting off the hook that easy. So I got a question for you as well. And what I want to know is what is special about the date, October fourteenth, two thousand and seven. Oh my goodness. October 14, 2007. Yeah, you can jump in if you know Tim. Tim's going to know that. Is this the first time I beat Tim in a cyclocross race? Oh, is this Gloucester? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Under 23, Jesse. That's right. (laughs) Oh, man. I remember being a Cub Junior and watching that from the sidelines. (laughs) Young Curtis ringing a cowbell over the course. That was great. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. No problem. Anytime. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jesse, why don't you take us home and just, uh, you know, just elaborate on on the importance of, of the mud fund and what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, so much good stuff has been said here. Um, these athletes kind of gave you a, a tip of the iceberg of what it's like to do what they're doing and, and what they're chasing after. Um, we have the world championships coming to Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas next year. That's, you know, everyone knows about that. Everyone's excited about it. And these athletes are definitely using that as a, as a catalyst. And, uh, we are using that as a catalyst with the mud fund and with the USA cycling program, um, as impressive and, and appreciative as I am to what these athletes are doing here and, and, you know, everyone who's stepped up to support them, their teams. Um, I've been able to have a small part in that, which I'm really grateful to. Um, I just, I can't, it's not lost on me, all the people who aren't racing. And we mentioned that earlier and, uh, just knowing how much energy and how much hunger to go out there and, and, and get after it is, is back in the U S is like, that is so inspiring to me. And that's why, I'm working super hard. That's why Tim's working super hard. That's why all these athletes are out here right now. Uh, and that's why the mud fund is so important. It's, it is about worlds next year. It is about what these athletes are doing now and what they have done. Uh, but it's also about the big picture. And that, that to me is, is the main point. Um, I love that we're going to worlds in the U S next year. It's going to be a lot easier logistically for me. Um, but that's just, that's just a stop, uh, on the train. Um, this, this USA cyclocross vehicle is, is picking up momentum. And I think we've seen that. We've seen that with Clara, with Maddie, um, you know, with, with everyone who has involved it in the past and all the donors that have, have become involved in it and have joined us. And as Tim said, thank you so much. Um, I could spend an hour thanking everybody. I would love to sometime. Um, but but yeah, we just, we got to keep this momentum going. We got to build up more steam. We got to build up more speed. We got to get more athletes in. We got to get more athletes at this high level. Uh, you know, we've talked about sand and mud, skills, training, tires, all this stuff tonight that all goes into it. And uh, we have the skill, we have the ability, we have the talent. Like we've seen that in the U.S. And what we have been lacking is the consistency and just the time, just the, the focus on it and, um, you know, the, the support really like there, there's been teams out there that have done it. There's been uh, a lot of effort behind it, but to get to where the Belgians are at or some of these other countries that have so much support, 
we can do it. We just, we just need to get there. And that's what we're working on. For sure. Yeah. We should, uh, we should get, let all of these, uh, athletes get off the zoom call so they can uh, get on with their evenings and be, uh, ready to train tomorrow with a good night's sleep. But I want to thank all of you, both athletes and everybody that uh, took time out of their day to join us. Thanks thanks so much. It was great uh, seeing so many faces and uh, thank you all for the great conversation. Hey, thank, thank you, you so much us. for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. It was great Bye. to be here.